COVID-19 pandemic is still ongoing, and there's always some confusion out there about what the most accurate information truly is. There's a lot circulating right now, so let's catch up on some of the latest coronavirus news here on this special bonus episode of The Nurse Keith Show. Hello and welcome to The Nurse Keith Show. I am recording this on Friday, July 10th, 2020. I'm privileged to use this platform to educate and inform you so that you can take any information you find useful and share it with others. I'm committed to regularly publishing episodes related solely to the COVID-19 pandemic. These are always free of corporate sponsorship and advertising. This is just about education and information as a service to you. Please share far and wide if you find these episodes valuable. And the show notes will be at nursekeith.com forward slash COVID-19-12. Remember that anything I share here is the most up-to-date information I've accessed, as well as personal opinions and reactions. Please note that the situation is mutable, fickle, and changing, and anything I share may have changed by the time we publish. Please also note that nothing shared in these COVID-19 episodes is intended for diagnosis or treatment. Consult your healthcare provider, the CDC, the WHO, your local Department of Health, or any other evidence-based resource you trust. And if you hear something I've shared that appears to be erroneous, email me at keith at nursekeith.com with evidence or data to support what you're telling me, and I will publish a public correction. All right. So a lot is going on right now. It's summer here in the Northern Hemisphere, and the summer panacea that so many were predicting that this virus would go underground and get weaker during the hot, humid weather or the hot and dry weather, just like the flu does, well, didn't happen. It happened in 1918 because that was influenza. This is a novel coronavirus. We had no idea what was going to happen. I never thought the summer was going to be easy. And unfortunately, I have to admit I was right. And I wish that I was wrong. Many people were hanging on to this hope, and I understand hope. I have some too, of course, but I believe many lay people were misled by those predictions and let their guard down for many other reasons as well. So at this time, July 10th, 2020, Florida, Texas, Arizona, Tennessee, California, and other states are surging here in the U.S., Brazil, and other Countries in the Southern Hemisphere and also in Europe are seeing surges again. In Texas and Florida, governors there especially were slow to follow other states in terms of instituting policies like mask wearing and social distancing and closing down their economies. And then they began opening back up before reaching the recommended benchmarks set by the federal government in terms of the number of infections and hospitalizations that were deemed relatively safe to begin a slow reopening of the economy. Texas and Florida, in my view, have really been two of the worst in terms of protecting their citizens and resisting science. Some states right now Texas and Florida included, finally, are reversing or slowing their plans to reopen their economies. Certain states and cities are closing bars and restaurants again for anything happening indoors. 
More than 650 coronavirus cases have been linked to nearly 40 churches and religious events across the United States since the beginning of the pandemic, many of them erupting over this past month as Americans resumed many of their pre-pandemic activities. On July 9th, 2020, more than 59,000 new cases of COVID were announced across the U.S., and this was a new single-day record. We've actually had six days over 50,000 new infections, and all of those have been in July, and we're only on July 10th. On July 9th, Florida reported 40 of its ICUs were at capacity, as well as its highest death toll in one day, which was 120. Florida's daily cases have increased tenfold. According to the New York Times, Arizona has jumped by 858%. Texas has risen 680% since reopening in May, and Georgia is up 245%. So the South and the West are getting hit hard to a large extent because they have not managed the virus well and have not managed their social distancing mandates and their reopening well. Average daily cases in New York, meanwhile, are down 52% with a very slow reopening process, which is looking like it's been very successful. Massachusetts is down, Connecticut is down, Rhode Island is down. Those Northeast states in general are doing very, very well. Meanwhile, the president has held rallies with thousands of people and continues to and has actively downplayed or even outright discouraged the need to wear masks, undermining science and the obvious data that shows us that mask wearing saves lives. And for those people out there still adhering to conspiracy theories about the virus being a hoax and being fake, well, go to a hospital see the refrigerated trucks full of bodies, talk to my colleagues and people out there fighting this pandemic and get on the right side of history and stop sharing and spreading misinformation and fear. Now, of course, there are things to fear. We are fearing the reality, not a global hoax that is meant to control the population. Even during the 1918 flu pandemic, there was resistance to masks and widespread resistance to social distancing policies. And that cost many people their health and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, their lives. So mixed messages abound. Like I said, those conspiracy theories are still circulating, including theories that a microchip is going to be placed by the government in any COVID-19 vaccine that comes to market or how the pandemic was created in order to control the population, like I said. So if this is a conspiracy involving millions of nurses, doctors, scientists, patients, public health officials, and most governments on the face of the earth, it seems that Bill Gates and George Soros and others truly can control the world, can't they? The pressure is mounting from the federal government for schools to reopen full-time, and no additional funding at the moment is being offered to manage social distancing requirements. They're trying to squeeze the six-foot distance down to three if the children wear masks, though they don't want to provide masks. Many schools cannot afford to be retrofitted with better air circulation. They're recommending that windows be open all day, 
So once the colder weather hits, I don't understand how that will be managed. The president is also threatening to withhold all federal funding from schools that do not open completely for in-person education full-time coming this August and September. That is a pretty cynical move. And if we're going to bail out banks and cruise lines and airlines, I believe we need to, quote unquote, bail out or support our schools. That is something we cannot ignore. The government's also stating that foreign students whose whose universities and colleges go 100% online are going to go back to their home countries. This is going to interrupt lives, interrupt educational pathways. So many processes will be interrupted and lives disrupted in major ways. Harvard and MIT are suing over the Trump administration's plan to require in-person classes for foreign students. Stay tuned for that. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the leading infectious disease expert in the United States and the WHO are saying that we are still in the first wave here and that the second wave will arrive in September or October when influenza begins circulating once the weather, of course, gets colder. And now we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that this novel coronavirus isn't the flu. It doesn't behave like any other virus we've known. Cold weather, cool weather, warm weather, hot weather, this virus seems to thrive for the most part in the mall, especially when our practices are lax. Meanwhile, the president is officially withdrawing the United States from the WHO in 2021 at a time when we need to partner with the WHO more than ever. Now, if he is not reelected, Joe Biden says his first action in office on his first day of his presidency will be to reinstate our commitment, financial and otherwise, to the WHO. So why would we pull out of the World Health Organization and hobble its funding when the world is in the midst of the worst pandemic in a hundred years? That is my question. So right now, the coronavirus cases are increasing in 37 states or more. And we do have news that the antiviral drug remdesivir seems to be helpful with the very severely ill patients who are in the ICUs. Some are fearing a shortage of the drug. Texas Governor Greg Abbott recently, a few weeks ago, distributed over 400 cases of remdesivir to 157 hospitals across Texas as part of the state's sixth remdesivir shipment received from the Health and Human Services Department. The Texas Department of State Health Services has deployed more than 600 medical staff and 16 ventilators to hospitals in the lower Rio Grande Valley region to distribute 448 cases of remdesivir. That happened a couple weeks ago. So remdesivir is not a cure. It is not used for people with mild symptoms, but it is being used and having some success with people with severe symptoms who are quite ill and I believe probably intubated. So at the University of Washington in Seattle, there were about a week ago, about 121 students who tested positive for the COVID-19 illness. And of those students, 112 were residents of fraternity houses in the Greek row section north of the campus. 
So meanwhile, here in the United States, we are over 3 million cases of coronavirus in the U.S., and over 130,000 people have died, according to Johns Hopkins University. That data may have been updated late last night or early this morning. So in terms of mutations, we know that the virus is mutating and scientists are still trying to deduce how virulent some of these new strains are. And evidence is pointing to the strain in Houston being more virulent. So here's a quote from a HoustonChronicle.com news article. A summary of the data thus far suggests that the strain has gained a fitness advantage over the original and is more transmissible as a result. It is safe to say this version is more infectious, unquote. So this mutation seems to have come from Europe and then was introduced by travelers to the east coast of the U.S., apparently specifically New York, based on genomic tracing. It's since become the world's most dominant strain, accounting for approximately somewhere around 65% of cases submitted to a major database from around the world. This mutation, which you probably will continue to hear about, is D614G, that's D as in dog, 614G, and it involves one of about 1,300 amino acids that act as building blocks for the spike protein on the surface of the coronavirus. This isn't that different from the original virus. It switched genetic instructions for one amino acid, number 614, from aspartic acid to glycine, and that is the change that caused this more virulent mutation. One amino acid change out of more than 1,300. In a paper in the journal Cell, Los Alamos National Laboratory researchers right here in northern New Mexico, about 20 miles from my house, wrote that patients with the D614G mutation have more virus in their bodies, more circulating in their circulatory system, and their laboratory experiments found the mutation is three to six times more capable of infecting human cells. So one thing we need to note is that the strain doesn't necessarily make people sicker, but it's appearing to be more transmissible. So as I learned recently from a really wonderful podcast episode on Sanjay Gupta's CNN coronavirus podcast, it's not in a virus's best interest to kill all of its hosts because a virus wants to be highly transmissible and drug resistant because it wants to continue to spread and gain a larger and larger foothold in the species that it is infecting. So there's an ongoing debate for decades whether viruses are actually alive or not. And that debate rages on today. But whether they are actually living things, they don't reproduce, they don't eat. So there's many things they don't do that makes many scientists say they're not alive, they still want to spread because that's their only real reason for being. So that virus does not want to kill us all because it wants to survive as long as possible and just spread, 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 spread. And that's why it's such a bear to get a hold of this virus. So the new victims are coming, like I said, in churches, universities, colleges, fraternities, bars, restaurants, offices, markets, casinos, and there are these clusters of infection that are confirming what scientists have been saying for months, that the virus appears to linger in indoor air longer than originally thought. So we've talked about these large respiratory droplets that 
travel about three to four feet and then drop to the ground and basically die, right? Well, on July 9th, 2020, the WHO admitted that much smaller droplets, aerosolized droplets that are not as heavy as the larger droplets that scientists have been discussing all along, actually linger in the air possibly for hours. So the WHO has reversed its stance on this aerosolized version of the coronavirus that can circulate indoors much longer than just a few minutes based on an open letter to the WHO signed by 239 scientists in 32 countries who outlined that evidence and wanted, well, actually highly recommended that WHO revise its recommendations. That letter will be published in a scientific journal soon if it hasn't been already. So what does this tell us about people wearing masks or not wearing masks and social distancing or not social distancing, especially in bars and other places where people congregate in large numbers in close quarters like a presidential campaign rally? And what does it tell us when local militia have actually defended bars that were defying public health orders to stay closed and they opened anyway. The CDC and the WHO were behind other scientists in terms of recommending face coverings. I actually made the error of believing them for several months. So I admit that I was following the CDC erroneously, but that was the information I was following back in March and April. So that sadly meant we lost a lot of time and lost a lot of lives. Puerto Rico is reeling from massive unemployment. Brazil is really having a very difficult time. Even Brazil's president, who actually was calling this a hoax and refused to wear masks, refused to social distance, he actually now has the coronavirus. So according to the New York Times today, the death toll is rising in some U.S. states, signaling a possible end to the overall national decline in deaths. So we know that we've set the single-day record of almost 60,000 cases on July 9th, and we know that cases in the U.S. military have more than doubled in one month, according to the Pentagon. So that's mirroring the trend we're seeing across the country. We are also seeing that a judge is seeing potential success for Harvard and MIT challenging that new Trump rule, barring foreign students from remaining in the country if their schools go completely online. And we do know it's been confirmed that states that were the earliest to reopen have driven the surge in cases in the U.S. with Florida and Texas sadly leading the way. So, friends, colleagues, listeners, peers, everyone out there listening, this is definitely a difficult time. There's a lot of bad news. Now, those who deny that this virus is real, that it's a hoax, that it's been manufactured by the media and the government to control us, well, hopefully that group is going to grow smaller and smaller as people come to their senses. What can we do? in terms of solutions 
and being actively involved in fighting the good fight here. Well, the first is if you're a healthcare professional, educating the public about the real thing going on out there, fighting back against misinformation and disinformation and lies, fight the information wars with me. That is the call to action I am putting out there to you right now. Now, you don't have to start a podcast. You don't have to start a blog. However, you can educate the public, your family, the person at the grocery store nearby who refuses to wear a mask, the management of a restaurant that refuses to adhere to any social distancing rules, calmly and with the authority of data to back you up, please begin to or continue to educate as many people as you possibly can. Use your social media feeds to the benefit of this war, of this battle, of this struggle that we're in right now. Whether it's your personal feed or professional feed, use it and share evidence-based information. If you need advice from me about where to find the best information, email me at keithertnerskeith.com. I will send you a list where of where I get my information. I can tell you the New York Times is doing a great job. All of their coronavirus coverage has been and will continue to be free. And it is nytimes.com forward slash coronavirus. There's definitely a lot there for you to work with. So support schools in actually having the funds to reopen safely. Call your legislators, your state and federal legislators. Flood the White House with calls. Tell them not to punish foreign students by sending them home. And tell them not to punish school systems that do not have the funds to make sure their schools are safe enough for students and for staff. And remember that a large, large percentage, I think a majority of teachers in the United States who teach our children are over the age of 50. And many of them do not want to go back to school because they're afraid for the health of themselves and the loved ones where they could bring the virus home. So you can lobby, you can write letters to the editor, you can educate people. If you want to start a blog, go for it. You can also just publish articles on LinkedIn and then share them. That is a great way to go. And if you need help getting that started, email me at keithatnursekeith.com and I will tell you how to do it. Put off any travel you possibly can. Practice as much social distancing as you can. Stay vigilant. Wear your mask everywhere you go, whether it's mandated where you live or not and encourage others to do the same. We are healthcare professionals. We are part of this fight and we can use our authority as trusted individuals, especially nurses who are the most trusted professionals in the country 20 years in a row or 19 years in a row. People listen to nurses. So think carefully about camps for your children. Think carefully about how you merge your household with another in terms of your little pod or bubble, your pandemic social bubble. Keep it as small and contained as possible. Choose those news sources carefully. Now, also be aware of social justice issues related to the virus, the homeless, the undocumented, people being threatened to be deported because of the virus. All of these different issues are so crucial. And I implore you to join me in this ongoing public relations challenge, if we can use such a word, because it's much more than a challenge. 
So thanks for listening to the special COVID-19 bonus episode of The Nurse Keith Show. There will be many more to come, I'm afraid. I'll have links and notes at nursekeith.com forward slash COVID-19-12. I hope you feel informed and educated and empowered from this episode. And please take inspired action to educate and calm your friends, family, loved ones, colleagues, and members of your community. The Nurse Keith Show is a member of Ars Longa Media, a collaborative network of podcasts and media entities, and others whose aim is to add a humanistic touch to professional education, educate the public from a scientifically informed perspective, and improve lives by partnering to address many social ills. Check out ArsLonga.media, that is A-R-S-L-O-N-G-A dot media. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting, and Mark Capispeason is our stalwart social media ringmaster. They both help me keep the wheels turning in the right direction. Stay safe, stay informed, be the healthcare professional who does the right thing in the face of COVID-19. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico.